Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit U, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm a consultant to nonprofits, and I specialize in community and organizational development. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find Nonprofit U on Facebook and Twitter, and I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags Nonprofit U, Second Chances, or Safer Foundation. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore U. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account You'll find a link to open the account on the page for this episode. You can also email me questions at consulting at ValerieFlinnert.com. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 20-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Today's topic is using second chances to make communities safer. We'll talk about the issues surrounding reentry and the work the SAFER Foundation is doing to help foster safer communities. Again, we encourage you to call in with questions at about the 20-minute mark. You can start posting in the chat room, and I see some of you are already there. Thank you very much. And you can also email me questions right now. Again, my email address is consulting at valeriaslinnert.com. If you want to participate in the live chat, you must open an account, and the link is found on the episode page. The call-in number again is 347-884-8121. Nonprofit and community development professionals, as well as those who work in reentry, are especially encouraged to call in and share your stories and strategies. Today's guest is EO of the Safer Foundation, and he brings a unique blend of leadership experience to the foundation. This experience includes more than 20 years in the corporate sector with AT&T and Sprint, and in addition, Victor served as the chief operating officer for a local nonprofit where he directed a variety of entities providing social services, education, and relief efforts both locally and abroad. In 2014, Victor was appointed by the governor to the Illinois Human Services Commission. He also represents Safer Foundation on the Illinois Commission to Eliminate Poverty and the Illinois Workforce Investment Board. Victor is a graduate of Roosevelt University in Chicago. He and his wife, Dale, have four children and reside in Chicago. And I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge his role with the Cook County Commission on Social Innovation, where he is the chair of the social excuse me, the Social Capital Committee. So I want to say thank you again, Victor, for joining us today. And before we get started talking about your work with SAFER, can you give us an overview of some of the issues surrounding reentry 
specifically we're looking at some of the communities that are most impacted. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for inviting me to join you on this uh, very important uh, program that you have. Um, I think this is great for nonprofits to be able to learn and share information, so thanks again. Um, and, and before I go any further, in case my wife is listening, her name is Talise. Oh, Talise. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. And, uh, so, I, so I don't get in trouble. You can't get me in trouble, Valerie. Okay. I have to be able to go home tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm so um, Oh, that's okay. As far as the um, issues surrounding uh, reentry and the communities impacted, <clears throat> you know, I, I understand that you have listeners that are uh, both here in the, in the States as well as abroad. Most people now uh, realize that um, the United States has more people incarcerated than any other nation in the world. We have 5% of the nation's uh, pop- the, the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners. Right now wow. we have about 2.2 million people that are in prison uh, here in the United States in federal and state prisons and jails all, all around the country. We have about 5 million people who are under some sort of court-ordered supervision on probation or mandatory supervised release after prison, so they're essentially still under the control of uh, the criminal justice system. We have between 70 and 100 million people in our country that have some criminal record. That is an important issue because if you have a criminal record, um, legally, you can be barred from employment and housing and education and receiving public benefits. In nine states, you can't even vote. You lose the franchise, the ability to vote. Um, here in our community, what what it what it uh, does here is that here in Illinois, where we live in Chicago, four four point one million people in in Illinois have a criminal record. And they face wow. all of these barriers that um, people with records face. And, you know, we only have 9 million adults in our state. <clears throat> we have um, 30,000 people incarcerated um, uh, that, that are released from prison in our state every year. And about 40% of those people return to the Chicago metro area. So... When we, you know, right now we have a big thing going on in our local community about the violence in Chicago and about the crime. And what Mm -hmm. uh, I think most people wouldn't realize is that when you have so many people who have this um, this stigma of having a record, and that record being used to prevent them from doing things that are productive, you know, legal ways of taking care of themselves. You're creating uh, an entire underclass of people that, in many cases, are kind of locked out of normal ways of participating in society. And, and, you know, they have to survive and take care of themselves. So they find themselves with um, no alternative in some cases but to do things that we would deem illegal, but they deem necessary for their own survival. So that that is um, a bit of how it impacts us as taxpayers. We pay for you know, convicting people over $110,000 to reconvict a person. Wow. We pay for $40,000 a year to keep them in state prison or $50,000 a year to keep them in our Cook County Jail here in Chicago. Um, and we pay, 
you know, in terms of the lack of public safety. Um, businesses are suffering because many times they don't have the workers they need. So we have people underemployed or unemployed, while at the same time we have businesses and employers that are looking for workers. But if they exclude people with criminal records, they're cutting off almost half of the adult population that could potentially be workers. Those are the, some of the, the impacts around um, the mass incarceration system and and why we need to think about all of the benefits to everyone of giving people a second chance. Wow, that that problem has a larger magnitude than I thought. I, I thought I knew knew the issue, but you know, clearly as as I'm hearing, it's much bigger than I thought. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about having President Trump come to Chicago to speak with formerly incarcerated people and gang leaders to address issues of violence. Have you seen any instances in which elected leaders have engaged people who are normally on the fringes to address similar issues, you know, particularly around violence prevention? And if so, can you give us an example and what some of the outcomes have been? Well, I, th- I think the, 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 the biggest example is uh, former President Obama was the first president to ever visit a prison. While oh, while wow. while still in office, and of course his administration did quite a bit to try and really boost uh, reentry and resources um, to to really reform uh, the criminal justice system, particularly at the federal level. <clears throat> so I would say it's always good for political leaders to listen, to visit, to come and see you know what's going on in the community, what period people are experiencing. And for President Trump, I mean, if he were to come to Chicago, I hope that uh, it would be an opportunity to him for him to see and understand that the violence we're experiencing in our city and in cities across the country and and uh, the issues that even uh, are being faced by his supporters in small towns and rural areas all over the country is a consequence of multi-generational poverty. The disinvestment in these communities, uh, poor schools, the lack of jobs, the lack of opportunity and hope. And this is not a character defect. I mean, we can't arrest and imprison our way out of these problems. The solution Mm -hmm. is investment. And and we know it's not a character issue because the same kind of things that are happening in our urban areas, people getting addicted to drugs and uh, all sorts of other things that are going on, those things are now happening in small towns or happening in rural areas. It's mm-hmm. the reason why uh, Mr. Trump was elected president. But, um, you know, people who are put into these circumstances of poverty and a lack of hope and opportunity, um, the same uh, outcomes will occur. It doesn't matter what race you are, and it doesn't matter where you're living, it's a matter of a lack of investment and a lack of opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up, you know, because all too often this gets cast as the quote-unquote inner-city urban black problem. So, you know, given similar circumstances where people are starved of resources, they will end up... 
Well, uh, not only that, I mean, you, you look at the breakdown of the fabric of the community and the institutions in the community, and that breakdown of the family, that breakdown is happening not just in urban areas in our country. It's happening in small towns. Um, when the coal industry, the jobs pulled out, and the steel industry and the auto industry and a lot of manufacturing, that hurt uh, cities like Chicago, but it hurts smaller mm-hmm. towns all over the country as well. And we're seeing, after decades of a lack of investment, the same kind of issues, um, drug overdoses and uh, addiction, uh, a breakdown in the family, you know, a lack of uh, quality education, all these kind of things that you normally attribute to urban minority areas are happening in rural mm-hmm. and uh, predominantly white areas. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we know it's not a, it's not about character. It's about a lack of resource. And eventually, mm-hmm. over time, there's an erosion of the institutions. There's erosion of the family. And, and there's an increase in, in poverty and addiction and suicide and depression, all these kind of things that are attributed to inner cities. They're happening all over the country now. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're all in this together. Absolutely. So the Safer Foundation has long been held up as a national model for prisoner reentry. Can you share some of the highlights of your model as well as some of your outcomes? Well, I think that that we operate in two spaces. One, working with individuals before they're released from prison. We operate two community correction centers. They are minimum security prison facilities. We have 580 inmates. They're individuals who've been sentenced to uh, state prison who are within two years of their release, and they're coming back to the Chicago area. They can come back to our facility and there participate in a a real uh, abundant set of um, programming and services to really get them ready to reconnect with their family to go back into the household, to go back into the community, all really centered around getting them the training and the soft skills and the hard skills so they can become employed in the private sector before they're released from prison. And so they have skills, they have work experience, they've saved some money, they've paid some of their debt, they've supported their family. All of that happened before they were released from prison. And we know that when that happens, it reduces the rate at which people uh, return uh, to prison. So in some of our communities, you know, we have recidivism rates, you know, people returning to prison within three years of, you know, 48% or more. But uh, that drops uh, down to 30% or less when uh, people participate in this pre-release programming. Same thing happens in the community. Individuals with records come to us. They may have been out, you know, in prison a month or a day or 20 years, and they now are faced with unemployment because of their criminal record. And we mm-hmm. do similar things with those individuals to get them ready to get, uh, you know, placed into jobs in the private sector. Um, generally, we serve about 7,000 people during the course of a year. I have wow. about 3,200 that start jobs during the year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, about half of those people are placed directly 
by our job developers and others have taken the skills that they learn in terms of how to search for a job, how to prepare for a resume, how to interview, and they um, they they come to our one-stop center and they you know search and and find jobs on their own, uh, facilitated by our staff. So that's that's what we do, and um, overall, um, when we look at all those people, the the pre-release and post-release together, um, our, we do a report on the, our impact on recidivism, and we know that when a person works, it reduces the recidivism rate from a statewide average of about 47% down to about 17.5%. And the higher the wages, the lower that recidivism rate goes. So some of the people that are in our advanced manufacturing training and get get jobs working in the manufacturing industry, that recidivism rate is as low as 12%. So it significantly impacts the rate at which a person is reincarcerated. And so what that means to, you know, you know, some people, you know, they say, well, you know, just lock them up and throw away the key. Well, they're going to come out, most of them. Uh, 90% are going to get released and they're going to come back in the community. And the question is when they come back, do you want them to be productive, tax-paying, working citizens? And, um, and do you want to have safe communities? Because if they're working and they're not recidivating, it means that they're not committing any new crimes that cause them to be reconvicted. It means we have public safety. It means we mm-hmm. save taxpayer dollars. And that's that's uh, that's the kind of outcome that uh, we're looking for. <clears throat> oh, that's huge. Um, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit View, and we're speaking with Victor Dixon. Victor is the CEO of the Safer Foundation, and we'll be taking questions from our callers as well as from our chat room in about two minutes. And if you have any questions, the call-in number is 347-884-8121. just want to make a comment, and then I will take calls, assuming that the callers on the line want to make comments. So I used to run a nonprofit in North Lawndale, and we were really pleased to have um, the Safer Foundation ATC, I believe that's what it is, the ATC Center? Right, Adult Um, Transition Center, yes. Okay, so not only do you focus on job training, but there's significant socialization going on while folks are still there, and I know you know this. Um, But we were working with the African Garden on 12th Place in Central Park, and, you know, the way we designed the garden at first, we thought we would just have these circular circular beds or whatever, one of your residents said, why are you dealing with circles? Why not have Africa? I could do African countries. So what he did was he, he created beds for us. I'm serious. In, in the shape of six African countries, and then he painted signs, you know, of these African countries. So in the center, we have the continent of Africa, you know, because again, all this stuff was going to be circles, and he was the one who told us, do them, you know, do the continent of Africa and then do different countries around this bit, and that's what we did the, the first iteration of the garden, and people, you know, came from, you know, all around the neighborhood to see, and it just instilled such pride, and then he was so proud, and, and then, you know, some of 
his fellow um, residents were also proud. So that really touched my heart. And that happened in, what, 2000? That was 17 years ago. And that mm-hmm. memory still sticks with me. So I, I thank you guys for that. And that's just well, one that, example. Well, that, I mean, I think what you, you, you're you noting here is that uh, many of the people who uh, have been incarcerated have talents, they have abilities, they have a lot to contribute. And, you know, we, 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 we never think about the fact that most people who commit crimes that result in their incarceration were victims first. They were right. victimized by poverty, by neglect, by physical and mental abuse. Um, they, they've been victims of crimes themselves. And, and a lot of times we don't think about that. And so some of the clients, one of our clients will say, has said to us, look, you know, you, I made a mistake, but I am not a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I may have done something that wasn't right at a point in time, but that doesn't define my entire life. So we are, see ourselves as, how, you know, how do we unlock the God-given talents and abilities that are there with people? How do we help them become things that they once dreamed they would be, maybe when they were a child? Uh, how do we help them surface the talents and the abilities that they have and allow them to put those uh, to good use for our communities, for our society, but also for them and their families? And that's a, a great opportunity that we have that benefits everyone. Okay, I'm going to check with a couple callers and see if they have any questions or comments. If you can hold on just a moment, let me check and see if they want to make comments. Sure. Okay, call. Okay, caller, you are at area code three one two six six seven two one two one. I was just checking in to see if you had any questions or comments. Okay, I take it that there are no questions or comments. I'm going to check in with our other caller. There's been a research product for hours. Like okay, caller at area code 312-493-3113. Did you have any questions or comments? I, I put in those hundreds of hours of frustration to actually figure out how the hell you find a legitimate product, right? Okay, does not Can you repeat like the question, uh, Valerie? Uh, um, yeah, I was just wondering if they had any questions or comments. It didn't sound like either of them had any questions. You know, um, I heard feedback in the background for the second caller, but it didn't sound like he had any questions. So um, I'll just go on with the questions, you know, that I had. Um, so one of the elements that makes SAFER Foundation so successful is your participation in policy and advocacy, and we heard a little bit of that come out in you know, our conversation so far. But you know, there are a number of organizations that are emerging, and they may want to strengthen their ability to impact legislation as well. So what advice might you give some groups that are just starting to do policy and advocacy? Well, I think if you are, um, you know, in the space of reentry, uh, the Safer Foundation has a coalition uh, that we call CARE. It's a Council of Advisors to reduce recidivism through employment. So mm-hmm. CARE is a whole lot better than trying to state that mouthful all the time. 
But we yeah. have about 100 organizations and individuals who work together on various uh, policy and advocacy efforts. Um, so, you know, you could uh, go to our website or contact our office uh, at 312-922-2200 to uh, uh, get connected with people uh, involved with care. But I would just say that the one thing that um, that I find is that, you know, the advocacy and policy work is about eliminating barriers that people face mm-hmm. in their lives and creating new opportunities. And so, you know, what is interesting is that many of our politicians uh, don't have very many people that they actually um, have uh, coming to them to talk to them. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is something that every citizen has a right to do and has the opportunity to do. It doesn't have to be formal, but you have an elected officials or, you know, multiple elected officials that represent uh, your area where you live, and you can always go and set an appointment and meet with those individuals and express your concerns and uh, let them know what issues are important to you. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very important that we inform our elected officials about, you know, the kind of things that we need in the community. Uh, they have a sense of um, what kind of legislation they should be supporting and what they should not be supporting and um you know they 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 represent us but uh if we don't talk to them if we don't inform them and we don't urge them to move in a certain direction um you know somebody will so the question is is your voice going to be heard <clears throat> we we think it's a very important part of our work and we think it's really critical for um all of the people, not just our clients, we worked on legislation last year to get occupational licensing um, bans lifted for, you know, four or five different occupations. There are about 110 more to go. And okay. that's that's important because um, because of your record, if you're banned from getting a license to do work as a, as a roofer or um, as a cosmetologist or a barber, I mean... You know, you can learn how to cut hair in the prison and do it for 20 years, and then you you come out and you can't get a license because you have a record. Well, that that has changed. So that helps not only safer clients; it helps everyone in our whole state who has a record that wants to go pursue a career in those fields. Uh, those are the kind of things that the advocacy effort can help. And um, we just encourage everyone to get involved and uh, let your let your uh, voices be heard. Okay, and I want to say thank you so much for your service. And I'm wondering too, what's the process for employers if they wanted to hire safer clients? You know, and what are some of the benefits and incentives? Well, I think that uh, you know the the first thing is you know of course the EEOC uh, put out some guidelines a couple of years ago on hiring uh, on banning the box essentially taking off the box that you have to check on an employment application that says you have a criminal record or conviction. And the, the process should be that a person applies for a job. Um, you know, the employer you know, interviews them, determines uh, whether or not uh, they, they're a good fit for that job. 
Uh, and then when they do a background check, they they consider some things: how long it's been since the offense occurred, uh, whether it's relevant at all to the job that the person is applying for. I mean, so you know, many times uh, something may have happened to someone when they were 18 years old, and they got a charge, um, an arrest, or maybe not even convicted. Charges mm-hmm. thrown out, but they shows up that they have a record. Twenty years later. You know, if you don't consider the circumstances and and just make a blanket decision, um, you know that that was deemed by the EEOC to be discriminatory against uh, African Americans in particular. So there there's a process to follow. Um, um, any employer that's interested in hiring our our clients, I mean, the one thing that we are excited about is when we we train people on the soft skills, and employers tell us often that. Our clients are um, culturally more prepared to go into the workforce than a lot of people who don't even have records. We teach people how to deal with conflicts and how to follow instructions and how to communicate, um, coming to work on time, and, uh, you know, all of those kind of things that are very essential for people to be successful in in the workplace. The benefits for the employers, I mean, number one, uh, I was I owned a small business. Um, you know, we employed about 25 or 30 people uh, most of the time. And um, I wouldn't have, have hired people because of some, you know, maybe 20 tax credit or $2,500 tax credit or something like that. I wanted mm-hmm. good people who were going to be committed, hard workers. That's what the employees get. That's their main benefit. They're getting people who are prepared, and they're getting people who are committed and who are very appreciative for someone giving them an opportunity. And that is the most valuable thing. Um, there are some tax credits that they can get from hiring people the records. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a value, but that's probably not the main reason why they come to us and hire our people. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm going to ask you one last question. You know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned to let you know that you're on the right track? And then what are some of those tough lessons that you've learned that you hope never, ever, ever to repeat? Hmm. Well, when I see individuals um, coming through our program, getting skills and credentials mm-hmm. that are recognized in the industry in manufacturing and transportation and healthcare and other fields and then landing jobs where they earn a living wage and they can take care of themselves and their children and their family and the transformation that happens in that household and with their children um that's when I know we're on the right track. <laughs> I know we're on the right track and we'll we'll do yeah, the right yeah. thing. Um you know, I think that, that uh, the things that we have to uh, uh, do better is, is just, uh, you know, making sure that we are really equipping people uh, properly, that we're in tune with what the employers need, and we're not training people for jobs that don't exist and in ways mm-hmm. that don't uh, totally make them successful, and improving on that process I mentioned that we have 7,000 people that we serve. We had about 3,200 of them get jobs. I want to see all 7,000 of them get jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you know, to, to be successful, fully successful with half of them, to me, that's, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. 
and we we are going to and we're embarking on already some internal improvements to to try to make that better. Um, I think we're probably you know probably pretty good compared to most mm-hmm. organizations of our size, um, right. but it's still not good enough. And and then I would like to see us grow. I mean there are thir- um, there are thirty thousand people released from prison every year in our state. 70,000 people released from Cook County Jail um, every year. We serve 7,000 people. I mean, that's and we're the biggest agency doing this kind of work. We're woefully underscaled in terms of the need that's out there to serve this community. So, and you know, I'm driven by how do we grow, how do we serve more people, and how do we do it better? And, and that's that's the challenge that we face. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so we've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Victor Dixon, CEO of the Safer Foundation, for being my guest today. Victor, would you care to share any parting thoughts and tell our listening audience how they can get involved in this work? Well, I think that um, what I would say to uh, anyone listening, whether you're directly involved in the criminal justice arena or reform efforts, that what is going on in the criminal justice space is affecting you, indirectly or directly. It's affecting Mm -hmm. you indirectly because it's consuming taxpayer dollars and putting it into uh, a system that is not really adequately equipping people when they return from jail and prison to be productive and effective uh, members of our society. Um, and there's a lot of concern about that. Uh, it, it affects you directly if you happen to live in communities where people with records are returning and those people don't have job opportunities. I mean, you know, we can improve the safety of our communities by helping people get connected with work. So um, what I would say is if you want to volunteer with us, uh, if you want to donate, you know, you can contact us. Uh, our website is uh, www.saferfoundation.org, uh, or you can call us at 312-922-2200. And we would love to have you donate funds, volunteer. If you can hire someone, hire one of our clients, that's the best thing you could possibly do for us. Um, and that would be great. And, and Valerie, I really want to thank you for this opportunity to share with your audience what we're doing and hopefully get some of them to get engaged with uh, the work that we're doing. Well, thank you, Victor. Thank you. And I want to thank our listening audience for listening to Nonprofit U today. The show will be available for download within about an hour. So be sure to tune in next week for a discussion on nonprofit sustainability and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.